Let's invite the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful to have this opportunity, a quiet time, that we can now look into thy word and be able to see our reflection in it, see where we, where our reflection is a little dim. Perhaps there isn't enough clarity and the edges aren't refined enough, Lord, that we can distinguish the things in our lives that should be pleasing to thee in every respect. And we know, Lord, this is thy will for us. Thou art a merciful Father, and yet thou dost expect of us to be conformed and to strive towards the image of Christ lived out in us. And so we pray, Father, bless the word that is open to us. Speak through thy servant and give him clarity, Lord, that he may be able to understand thy will and convey it in ways that we can all understand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read um, verses found in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, and part of, it, part of chapter 5. Beginning with, chap- with the first verse in chapter 4, then. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which, are, which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, 
and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or contribute greatly to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought in us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are, in, we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether we be present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I have read through verse 11 of chapter 5. I was happy to hear the message that was given to us this morning as I couldn't help thinking how God must have been moving both Brother Doug and I in the same direction, independently in different circles. And I, that strengthened me to, to discuss or talk about this chapters that we, the verses that we have read here this afternoon. Well, I don't want to dwell on uh, a majority of what Brother Doug spoke, his theme of grace this morning. I do want to focus on something that he talked about, which was the word courage. And if you look at verse 6 of chapter 5, it says here, therefore we are always confident. And the word confident there means courageous. We are always full of courage. And of course, of course, this is Apostle Paul speaking here. He's speaking about his experience and the, the attitude that he has in, in the face of the responsibilities given to him. But he is trying to convey that attitude and have everyone else embrace that same attitude and understand why he has that attitude. And in the verses that we spoke about, that we read in chapter 4 and through chapter 5, Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, paints for us a picture that, that God is expecting in his children that they should be living out the life of Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus Christ may be lived out in each of our lives. 
And that is, that is one of the purposes and one of the objectives that God has when he calls us into his family, when we become adopted children of God, that we would become like his son. Brother Doug mentioned the word from, from Ephesians that, that we should be conformed to the, to, the, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, that ultimately, as each of us journey on in our lives and uh, experience God as a father, and we begin to understand him more because we don't fully understand him and our understanding should grow from day to day as we experience him. But ultimately, we are being conformed, we are being molded and reshaped so that at the end of our life, at the end of our journey, we have attained unto that image of his son. That image is, is being evidently seen in our lives by those around us. That is what God wants to work in us. It says here that um, this, as was mentioned this morning, so the, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That knowledge of the glory of God has been given to us and we have received this, and it says here, but we have this treasure, this knowledge in earthen vessels. We possess it. And our, our, um, our bodies are the, the, the fragile nature of our lives is a witness to us. It is a testimony that God's word is true because we are so dependent on him to fulfill the very things that he expects of us. It's not the ability to do his will is not found in us. It is found, um, it is found when we are able to submit to God's will and allow his Holy Spirit to work in us and live out the life of Jesus. So God, God will work in us things that will cause us to to stop and to assess and to reevaluate and to question, many times to question what is the reasoning behind the things that occur in our lives. For us, as Christians, we are going through this journey, as I mentioned, and in our experiences, we, um, we come to know God to a different degree. We become to know, as we heard this morning, God the Father, we come to understand him. But sometimes when we go through those, those journeys and through our own experiences, we don't feel God's nearness. And sometimes situations happen in our lives that cause us to wonder why this is happening. I know that in my own personal life, um, there are times, even as recently as this week, where Nothing seems to be fitting in, into place. In fact, it would appear that in, in all perception, in all human understanding and reasoning, in our ability to see our, the environment around us, it would appear that everything is going wrong. And in, in that moment, when you feel that you're in the eye of, of, of you know, a hurricane where, you're, where everything is you know, whirling around you and seems to be out of control... 
you, you want to utter that expression, why, why, why are you letting this happen? Or why, what, is, what is the purpose behind this? And sometimes we ask that question. I ask this, the question sometimes, and I feel at times ashamed that I even allow myself to think that way, that, you know, what could, what could possibly mean? What could, what could this possibly have such a positive result in the end? How can this have any real positive outcome? And, and I know that at that time, when you think that way, that there is that small, still voice that comes back, comes back again to remind us that, that God is in control and his, his wisdom and his plans for our, us are so far above what we can imagine in, with our finite thinking, our finite comprehension. It is so limited in our understanding of God's vastness and his ability to think so that when that small, still voice comes to me in the moment when I question the sanity of the things that are happening, I remember that God loves me. I remember that God cares for me and that he has that he wants to bless me, and, and that while what I'm going through may be uh, a difficult experience, it may be painful, it may be hurtful, it may not be pleasant at the time, and it may last. It may last today, it may last tomorrow, it may last a week, it may last a long time. It's, I still can be grounded, and I can still be calm through that by knowing that he loves me and that he really does wish the best for me even though I cannot see it right now, but I can believe him. And oftentimes I am reminded of this verse in verse 18, that while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, so that gives me a perspective. It gives me a reference point. Verse 18 is a reference point for me. It says that, that the things that I see in this life are temporal and that there is more to life than what I actually see with my unaided eyes. It is a reference point for me. It is, it is, a, it is an anchor in, in, on, on the ground that I can say from here on, everything else has a perspective. It's relative to this point. It's relative to verse 18. It's relative to the truth that what we see is temporal and that there's a whole dimension beyond the physical vision that is spiritual and that is eternal and therefore has the greatest consequence to me because I am a spirit. I am clothed in this tabernacle, and that's what chapter 5 says. For we know, and it's, it's so fitting that after verse 18, when we're giving the reference point, that what we see with our naked eyes is a temporal reality and that there is the, the spiritual dimension that is eternal. And so I need to put everything in that perspective. I need to think in those terms. When the world is spinning around me or when things seem to be out of control or when conditions in my life are not according to my liking, the perspective to have is that it is temporal and it isn't the only thing that is. There is more that is than just my life. There is more than is than just my emotions. 
There is more than is than just the feelings I feel. In fact, there is more than is than just who I am. Life does not revolve around me. I am not the center of the universe. You need not to be fully concerned with me. And so this puts for me a, a, a bigger reference point. And here in verse 1 of chapter 5 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, and the tabernacle was the tent that the children of Israel erected during their journey to the promised land. And God is giving the example here, the analogy, the, 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 the picture that our bodies are a temporal tent. And God has fashioned us this way. And that one day, this is going to be dissolved. And that when it is, we have a building of God and house. Again, the image is that our bodies are going to be like a house that is not made with hands, but is eternal in the heavens. And we groan right now. This is the reality of humanity. It's not just the reality for Christians today. It's not just a, a religious philosophical discussion that, that is limited to the, to the quarters of, of religious circles. It is true for all whole of humanity. You just have to pick up the newspapers. You just have to look at the, the Internet and the news and the Internet. You just have to listen to the radio. Humanity is groaning. There is so much suffering. There is so much injustice. There is so much pain. There is so much unanswered questions. And people without hope, humanity groans. And we groan. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, in this tent, do groan, being burdened, being weighed down with the reality of life, with the cares of this life, and with the, the consequences that come with living in a body that is decaying, that's dying, that's, that's breaking down, that's susceptible uh, to, to all kinds of issues and problems. And we want to be... We want this to be clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And Apostle Paul uses such beautiful language here, very poetic language, to, to give this picture that one day this is all going to disappear. One day, and this is what we believe. Again, we have to ask ourselves this question. We either believe the Bible and it's in, believe everything that's written in its entirety or we don't believe it at all. We can't pick or choose. But one of the things it tells us is that this mortal body is going to be done away with. And, and, and mortality, death as we know it, is going to be swallowed up and replaced with a spiritual body. We could have read in 1 Corinthians 15, Brother Doug read a verse from there, but the whole chapter talks about the resurrection when, when man will be brought back to life and death and he will have a resurrected body. So we will have this body replaced. And it will be something that we all look forward to. We ought to look forward to. In fact, it's, we ought to look forward to it. Because it is, it gives us, it says that we are thinking Spiritually that we are thinking about the eternal. 
Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing, in other words, God who, who created us and formed us and shaped us into the person that we are today with all our frailties and all our susceptibilities and our personalities, that he has prepared us for this very thing, to have our bodies replaced by that which is eternal. God has done this and will do it. And he says, but who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit? Now, this is very important because this means that God, who has told us he's going to replace this mortal body, this body that is a, a, like a tent that, that we carry with us, that is going to be used and is going to uh, degrade over time, and one day will be replaced. And we know this. God has given us that understanding, and God has given us that promise. But until then... The Bible says that he has given us the earnest or the down payment. The down payment, the security deposit, which, which is to us his assurance and promise that he will make this come to pass. He will replace our bodies. He will resurrect us. And that the things that we see and the things that we experience in life are but temporal and he will fulfill his promise. And he does this by the Spirit, the, the security bond, the down payment that he is going to be true to his word is the Holy Spirit that he gives to us, to every Christian that resides in us. And this is what gives us courage. So verse 6 is a continuation of verse 5. It is therefore, in other words, after I have considered the reality that I have the Holy Spirit residing in me, with me, to carry me through the days that are to come, I then have confidence and courage to do the things I need to do. And then he goes on to say, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is in direct correlation with verse 18 that says the things that we see are temporal. They're not the whole picture that there's more to what we, what we only see physically. And so we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident. We are confident, therefore, because we, we have this Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. He is going to be the one that walks with us in this journey. As, as he travels in this tent that is wearing out, he gives me, his presence gives me courage to do what I need to do on this travel, regardless of the circumstances that I have. So I am confident, I'm willing rather to be absent from this tent and to be with the Lord, but I am here right now. And so wherefore, we labor that whether we are present or absent, we may be accepted of him, we must, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, we stand back for a few seconds here, and we sort of digest what we've heard. God has given us the comforter who walks along with us, the Holy Spirit. His presence encourages us, emboldens us to have courage to carry on with what we need to do. So therefore, we are confident. And therefore, we labor. We labor. And as Brother Doug said this morning, we labor 
for the works of God. We don't labor for the things of this earth. We don't put our, our mental resources and our capacities that God has given us to further the material matters of this world. We, we labor. We do what we have to do, as God would expect, because he, he blesses for what we need, but we need to the rest put towards God's kingdom. So we labor. And Apostle Paul then says, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not just the sinners. Not just the world that has rejected God. The world that if I, if I were to read to you the, the chapters and verses in, in Revelations, how man would defy themselves and, and even in the midst of God's plagues, they would resist him and, and refuse to repent. Not just those individuals are judged, but we also have to come before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible tells us that that judgment seat will be the first resurrection. And blessed are those that are, take part in the first resurrection. And the thrones will be set and judgment will be given. And each of us that are Christians will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is a sobering thought. It is a sobering thought. This, and I don't do, a, I don't do it justice. I'm not a big guy. I don't have a deep voice. I can't thunder for you and give you the impression that, that you're going to be appearing before the judgment seat of Christ and that you're going to have to give account of the things that you did in your body. As a Christian, you're going to give account. And that is true. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to panic here. It doesn't mean that as Christians, we're going to now be doubting the salvation promised to us. But it means that we need to deal with the situations that come in our life and that we have to make sure that the image of Christ is being worked out in our lives and that we are not conforming to a non-image of Christ, but we are rather using the opportunities God gives us to become more like Christ. So that means that God is going to design for you and me a life, circumstances, adversities, health issues, mental issues, financial issues, other issues in your life that are there to try you in order to work out in you the things that are not pleasing to him, the attributes of who you are that are not compatible with the personality of Jesus Christ. And he does this, he designs this specifically for you and me so that you, can, you and I can stand there and recognize, okay, what is God trying to do here? What is he trying to reveal to me that I need to deal with? I had a discussion about this last night that really it came out at sort of from my mind and I... I um, want to read a few verses if you bear with me. So we have Jesus Christ as the example from the Gospels to look at and to mimic his life. We can study his every move, his every reaction, his every response to adversity, to the harsh realities that he lived through in those three years in his ministry. And then we have the next best thing. We have the Apostles. Apostles. 
We have the disciples. We can study their lives. We can see the things God put them through and the things that they were able to accomplish for him. So we have Apostle Paul. Now, when Apostle Paul was stopped on the road on the way to Damascus, and he was stopped dead in his tracks, fully convinced in his mind that God that it was God's will for him to collect the Christians in those cities and to jail them, to bind them, and to beat them, and to force them to renounce their faith. He really believed that until God stopped him dead. And it was about three days before he received his sight. He was led by hand after he had the vision of Jesus Christ. And, he, and the Bible doesn't tell us what happened in those three days before Ananias came to speak to him and his, and his sight was received. But you can just imagine... Because he was human like you and me. You can just imagine that in those three days when he sat completely blind, thinking about what, must, what was all this about on the road to Damascus. And my life has just been completely turned upside down. The very things I thought were true and right and correct, the reference that I had to give me direction in life was completely removed and turned upside down. And so Ananias comes to him. But before Ananias comes, God speaks to Ananias in a vision and, and tells him that there's this man called Saul who's, who's in the city, in the, in, the, um, in, the, in the street called Straight, and that he's praying. And you go there and you, you restore his sight. And Ananias was reluctant to do that. Can you imagine? You know, God speaks to you to go and, and, and restore the sight of a man who's come to this city to to, for the very purpose of binding Christians and hailing them back to Jerusalem to be, to be tortured and beaten so that they would renounce their faith. And Ananias naturally says to God in, in that intercourse that happened, that, but, but this, we've heard so many evil things of this man. And God says, go thy way. Go do what I need you to do. I understand. Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him. Now, if you and I were in that situation, if God called you to become a Christian today, and before you immersed into this tank, God tells you, oh, and by the way, you're going to suffer a lot for me. I'm going to cause you to suffer a lot for my name's sake. Yes, I'm going to send you out to the Gentiles and to the kings and and to the rulers of this world, and you're going to give testimony of, of me, but I'm also going to cause you to suffer greatly for my name. Stop and think about that. Would you hesitate? Knowing what you know about life today, knowing about the things that can happen, because, you know, right now we may be comfortable in our seats. We may be comfortable when we get home tonight and have supper as a family. We may be comfortable throughout the week. But there are times, and all of us experience them, when life just isn't good. It, it is downright painful. And it is difficult. Just imagine when, when you can recall those situations and God tells you, I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to cause you to suffer for my name's sake. I'm going to show you how much you need to suffer for my name's sake, and he did it in a loving way, would you draw back? Where would you go? You know, after encountering God on the road to Damascus, it doesn't make sense for you to turn back now and, and pretend that it didn't happen. You couldn't do that. 
You can't really do that. So you have a choice now. Really, the option to go back and to not go through baptism and the identification of death in Christ and to become a newborn creature in him is not an option now because you know there's nothing else but this. You know this is the truth. You've encountered God. You know him to be true. But now the road ahead of you is going to be painful. The choice is yours. You're going to go forward with that choice. But this is where it makes, which is just beautiful, that you have a choice on how you journey on that road. So Apostle Paul was given a task. One, he was going to be a testimony and he was going to give a witness to to rulers, authorities, and kings and Gentiles throughout the world. He had a major task at hand. It was going to to send him throughout the known world then. He was going to be an evangelist, a missionary, a church uh, um, planter. He was going to be a mentor. He was going to be an elder, a super elder, if you will, of, of many churches. But that was his task. And he was going to spread Christianity and he was going to cause the work of God to grow. That was his task. But there were circumstances around that task. There were things that were going to go along with that task. A lot of suffering. In, in Acts, in the same, same book, we find in Acts 20, this is when Apostle Paul was meeting with the elders in Ephesus. And, um, you know, it, he was meeting in the shore, and he was, he was bound, he had, was determined to go to Jerusalem, and, you know, at the end of their, of, as he shares the, his final words with the elders to encourage them, the elders of the churches, he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save or accept that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, in every city that I've been in, every single city I've stepped foot in, the Holy Ghost witnesses to me, saying that bonds and afflictions are going to abide with you in every city. And those are the circumstances that followed him and waited for him as he was carrying out the task of God. And so what I ask you to think about, which, which really challenged me, is you can focus on the circumstances of your life and completely be consumed with the circumstances of your life and miss doing the task. Or you can focus on the task and forget the circumstances. Because the Holy Spirit witnesses in you, in your life, that tomorrow and every day will have this abiding with you. These are the things that God has designed for you. It's going to happen. You can either focus on those things and say, woe is me, or struggle with them, and keep coming to God with the same prayer. Why me? Why don't you take this away? Why don't you deal with this? I would be such a better person. I would, I would live a better life. I would be much happier. Or I could do so much more for you. Instead of just focusing on the task, imagine if Apostle Paul didn't focus on the task. Imagine when he was in prison, when he was whipped a hundred and what is it, 140 times, cumulative. Imagine if he would have succumbed to the reality of his circumstances and said, This is not worth it. I, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't handle this. I'm weak. No, he focused on his task. 
These were just a side thing to him. He was already warned at the beginning of his life on his journey to, to, to become conformed to the image of Christ. And as we read here, he knew, he knew, and he's telling us, and he told the, the believers in Corinth, he says, um, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. So then death worketh in us and life in you. So that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Let's face it. That is the reality. God wants the life of Jesus to be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And he's going to design a path for you that will give you two options. You will focus on the circumstances and be distracted from the task, or you will focus on the task. You will have confidence and take courage because the one that walks beside you, the Holy Spirit, the security bond, the down payment, that God, what he has promised, he will fulfill that reality, in fact, should give you courage to focus on the task. And if every Christian focused on the task to glorify God, to avail themselves of the grace of God, and just ignore the circumstances. I'm not saying that we can ignore pain. I'm not saying that we can ignore a, um, an illness that that is going to take our life prematurely. But it doesn't distract us from the task. It only reinforces our determination to do the task. So we stand before Christ, every one of us. And the truth is that, as we heard this morning, Great grace was given to them. And great grace is available to all those who focus on the task. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. God's word is, is very rich in its depth, in its storehouses of wisdom and knowledge and information that we can, uh, we certainly can't, exhaust it in any way. It's my prayer that we would be able to evaluate our own lives personally, look at how we allow the circumstances in our lives to cloud our judgment and to distract us from doing what we need to do. I am very persuaded in my mind that that is a truth, that we often miss the mark and miss completing God's will because we are so um, wrapped up with the issues in our lives. And the issues in our lives are not there to cause, to be like a pain in the neck, if, if I can use a colloquial expression, but rather they're there to remind us that we're in a tabernacle that's going to be one day swallowed up by immortality and that we do groan and that God, it's there to remind us that this is coming to an end. And that has two significance. 
impacts for us. One, it's coming to an end, so we better be prepared. And two, we have a little bit of time to work for him. And a little bit of time given to us to have the opportunity to pay back, if you will, to show God how much we really appreciate what he has done by what we do with our bodies and with our time and with our lives. Life is so brief, it's so short. Um, we need to focus on his will and use the difficulties in life and the circumstances as an opportunity to trust him implicitly that he will take care of today and tomorrow. This concludes our service. Amen.